Well, I want to just say happy Father's Day to uh, all of you dads out there and to all of the men in our church and in our community who stand in the gap uh, in our community for those who uh, maybe don't have dads. Uh, You play such a significant role in the lives of uh, young men and young women through our culture and make a difference as well. So thanks to all of you uh, men who stand in those gaps all around, uh, whether it's with neighboring children or whether it's mentoring or whatever it is that you do. Thank you for all that you do uh, to stand as an example of what it means to have a true and loving Heavenly Father. Of course, none of us who are earthly fathers are perfect reflections of that, uh, but we try to do it. And so thank you to all of you who are here today. You know, one of the things that psychologists and, uh, and, and people who've sort of studied, uh, studied our culture have, have understood and recognized is that there is an innate desire uh, among all of us to try to earn the approval of our dads in particular. Uh, this, th- there's something that even psychologists have begun to call the father wound, this thing inside of us that sort of never finds satisfaction uh, from approval from our dads. Some of you maybe had dads uh, growing up, and, and you can remember what it was like to try to earn your dad's approval when your dad recognized or saw something, how it really encouraged you, and maybe times when you wish they'd recognize something and, and they, they didn't notice it because, again, they're just earthly dads like, like all of us and, and fall short of that. Mark, but people have studied that and said, well, why does that seem to be the case with our relationships with our fathers um, in particular? It's true with mothers to some degree, but most psychologists think, well, our dads tend to, I mean, our mothers tend to uh, offer lots of affirmation and approval. That's kind of a natural thing for a mom to do. Maybe it's not so natural for for dads to do. And people have written about it extensively. In a recent article, the 2011 article uh, in the Wall Street Journal, the writer Peggy Drexler was writing about girls and their dads. And this is what she said, in my research into the lives of some 75 high-achieving, clearly independent women, I knew that I would find a powerful connection between them and the first men in their lives. Many other studies have confirmed it. What surprised me was how deep and surprisingly traditional the bond is, how powerful it remains throughout their lives. That even those women who have achieved great success and are highly independent, powerful women, it it tracks back and there was a a deep connection with that first man in their lives. It's not just daughters and their dads, it's sons and their dads. Uh, The writer Kyle Bradford is part of the Fatherhood, the National Fatherhood Initiative, and he writes this. I've spent the better part of my adult life looking for the approval of a man who's been dead for almost two decades. This longing has at times led me to replace relationship for career, love with advancement, and attach my self-worth and manhood firmly to a paycheck and job titles. This confession shouldn't result in a judgment against my father. He often told me how proud he was of me, that I did a good job, and that he loved me. But it was usually only during those times when I actually did a good job that he could easily be proud of me. If that's the only time acceptance and worth are ever offered, it will soon begin to feel like the results are getting the credit instead of the one who needs it. I believe it's because of this, even at age 42 years old, I still, pl- I still place far too much weight on accomplishments and material success, the tangible evidence that I'm accepted. So why is it that so many people spend so much of their lives seeking their dad's approval? I think part of it is because it's a reflection of the design of human nature. 
You see, humans, you and I, men and women, all of us alike, were designed for one purpose, and that was to bring glory and honor to our Creator, to our Heavenly Father. Now, I just want you to think with me for just a minute about your own dad, and uh, maybe, maybe you could think about all the ways that maybe your dad uh, really reflects a loving Heavenly Father, or maybe you can think of some of the ways that your dad fell short of that reflection. But just think about this. If we have a hard time pleasing our earthly fathers who are anything but perfect, what hope is there that we could ever bring pleasure to our Heavenly Father who is perfect? How do we do that? If that's what we're ultimately designed for, is to bring pleasure to God, to glorify God forever, and we have a hard time just pleasing our earthly parents, how much harder would it be to do that? What is it inside of us that we're really seeking when we're seeking the approval of others, when we're seeking the approval of our parents, when we're seeking the approval of our dads? What is it that God really wants from me? Is it possible that my life can glorify God and be pleasing to him? And if so, how can I do it? We've been looking at a passage of Scripture for the last several weeks, uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, This is the final speech that Jesus gives to his disciples before he is to be crucified. And in this speech, he's giving them lots of important information because he knows his time with them is very limited. And so he starts by telling them, listen, guys, you should get ready because I'm about to leave. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to come and who's going to be with you. And I need you guys to do something. We looked at last week the, 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 the instruction that Jesus gave. I need you to abide in me. The, the song we just sang or the word remain. I need you to remain in me. Even though I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit is coming. You need to stay connected to me. And then, then right after that, Jesus tells the disciples the secret to making our Heavenly Father pleased. The secret to bringing glory to him. And here's what you need to know today. For some of you who have been living your whole life seeking the approval of other people, seeking something that seems so intangible, so far out of reach for you, you need to know that if you hear what Jesus says today and you truly live according to the words that Jesus taught his disciples and that he's speaking to us, not only can you be assured that you will please your heavenly Father, but in the process you can find the joy and peace that you never find seeking to win the approval of people on earth. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to John chapter 15. John 15, we'll be picking up in verse 8 of this speech. And this is what Jesus said. Here it is. This is the secret, he says, to bringing pleasure, to bringing glory to your heavenly Father. By this, Jesus says, my Father is glorified. Here it is. Here comes. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So two questions I think this passage answers for us. The first one is, how do I bring glory to my heavenly Father? How do I fulfill what I was designed to do in bringing glory to God? And then the second question is, how do I know when I've done it? 
How can I be assured that I've accomplished that purpose? Well, let's, let's take the first question first. How can my life bring glory to God? There are two things that we try to do in our lives to bring glory to, to our Heavenly Father that often we try to do these same things to win the approval of other people. Maybe our, our parents or our bosses or people who are in charge of us. And I want to talk about the two things uh, that we try that do not necessarily bring glory to God or win God's approval in our life. The first one is this. I do not win or bring glory to God through my success. It's not through my success. See, we want to believe that somehow our accomplishments and our achievements will earn God's love. That that if I can just achieve enough, if I can just accomplish something, then God will notice me. He'll take notice of me and I will finally have his favor and I will win his approval. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 15. It's a famous story. Uh, Many of you have heard the story before. Uh, It's called the prodigal son. And actually, there were two prodigal sons in the story. There was an older brother and a younger brother. And and both brothers lived at home with their dad. And and the younger brother, who was the rebellious one, decided that, you know what, I want my inheritance from dad and I want to go off and live my life the way I think it should be lived. And and I don't want to, to live under his rules anymore. I don't want to live under his authority anymore. And so he goes to dad and he says, hey, dad, give me what's coming to me and let me go live my life the way I want to live it. And so the dad says, okay. And he gives his younger son his share of the inheritance and he, he goes off to live his life the way he sees fit. Meanwhile, the older brother stayed home. He kept doing everything that he knew to do to please his dad. He followed all the rules. He worked and managed the farm. He even picked up extra to make up for his slacker brother who was off squandering the family fortune. Well, as time would go on, eventually the money ran out. The younger brother decided, you know what, I, I'm, I'm eating out of fig tro- uh, pig troughs. I need, to, I need to go home. I want to go back. And so he develops this whole plan about how he's going to go back and he's going to work for his dad. He's just going to be a servant. And as he's making his way back, his dad sees him coming from a distance and his dad runs out to meet him. And, and, he, and he, the, the son begins to give his speech about how he's so sorry and he's wronged him. And the dad just shuts his speech down. And he brings out his robe and he puts a ring on his finger and he puts sandals on his feet. And he, he, he tells him to, to, to prepare a feast and to prepare a banquet because this son of mine who was lost is now found. He's come home. And so he throws a big, big party. He's so excited that this younger brother's come home. Well, as the party's going on, the, the dad's looking around and he notices that his older son is not there. So he goes out and he looks for him and he, he finds out that the older brother is out in the field so sulking because uh, he's mad. He's mad that the dad has welcomed home this wayward son who has wasted the family fortune. And he tells the dad, he said, look, I have done everything that, that, that you could have possibly wanted me to do. I never left. I stayed here and followed the rules. I'm the good son. I've been working. I've been doing everything that I can do. And here comes my younger brother who squandered everything, and you throw him a big party. Now, what's really going on in this story? Number one, we often focus on the younger brother and the grace that the father had for the younger brother. And when we do that, sometimes we miss the problem, the sin of the older brother. That the older brother believed that somehow if he could just 
he could just work hard enough and follow all the rules and, and make all the accomplishments and make the grades that somehow his dad would be pleased with him. He's been living his whole life to try to earn his father's favor by doing the right thing and by working hard. And then when the younger brother comes home, the older brother is in a crisis because he recognizes and know, knows that I have never earned my father's love because of my hard work ethic. That my father is willing to give love, not based on my achievements, but based on something different. And many times we live our lives seeking to bring glory and honor to God by the same, by the same rules that the older brother was trying to follow. That if we can just work hard enough, if we can just accomplish enough, that maybe God will show favor on us. Tim Keller tells a story um, about a, a farmer who lived out in the country, and he, he had this, uh, this farm, and he grew carrots and vegetables. And one day he looked out, and he recognized that he had grown in his, in his field a, a carrot that was the largest carrot he had ever seen. And so he takes the carrot out, and he says, you know, what am I going to do with this carrot? This is the best carrot I've ever seen, this best carrot I've ever grown. He said, this carrot is worthy of a king. And so he takes the carrot, and he goes, and he makes a, a presentation of this carrot to the king and he comes before the king with his carrot and he says oh king this carrot that I've grown is the best carrot I've ever grown and it is worthy of a king so I bring it to you as my gift and the king is just touched by this gift of this humble farmer and he says you know what farmer obviously you're good at what you do so I'm going to give you all of my far- all of my farms and I want you to manage my farms because it's clear to me that, that you do a great job as a farmer Well, there was a nobleman in the court that day, and the nobleman was noticing what was going on. And he said, oh, I see how this works. And so the nobleman went back to to his place, and he got his prized stallion. This stallion that had had won awards. It was the the finest stallion in in all the land. And and this this nobleman said, well, if I make this as a gift to the king, if, if a simple carrot earns somebody the right to run all of the king's farmlands, then surely this stallion will reap something even better. So he brings the stallion to the king and he says, oh king, this is the finest stallion in all the land. It's worthy of a king. And so I have brought you this stallion as my gift to you. And the king accepted the stallion and said, thanks, and just went on. And the nobleman was puzzled. He didn't know what to make of this. So he, he went back to the king and he said, oh, king, he, he said, I, I'm confused because when the farmer brought you the carrot, you gave him in exchange a, a gift of all your farmlands to manage as the steward of your farmlands. And I bring you this fine stallion worth far more than a carrot. And, and all I get is your thanks. I don't understand. And the king says, let me explain. When the farmer brought the carrot, he was bringing the carrot as a gift to me. When you brought the stallion, you were bringing the stallion as a gift to yourself. Now listen, isn't that what our works are? That we think if we can accomplish enough and we can do enough, somehow we can earn God's favor, we can buy God's favor, and that God owes us something. Ultimately, all of our success is always about ourselves. That's why the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 6, Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. The best thing that you can accomplish is just a filthy, dirty rag compared to God. What can you ever do? What can you ever accomplish? What can you ever give that is a worthy gift of him? 
You see, it's not about our success. We do not bring glory to God through our success. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus tells about a time when people will come and he'll say, Oh Lord, we cast out demons in your name and we healed the sick in your name and we did all these things. And God will look at these people and said, Away from me because I never knew you. Now, think about that for just a second. All these great accomplishments and all these great successes that the people bring. And God says, I never knew you because it is not our success that God is after. We do not bring glory to God through success. When, and, and when we fail to succeed, which we all do, we, we all try to accomplish things and, and fall short. We want to make it about something other than success, don't we? See, we want it to be about our success as long as we're successful. But the minute we stop succeeding, suddenly then it becomes about something different. Suddenly then it comes about being faithful. Well, I may not be successful, but at least I was faithful. At least I was faithful to God in my failures and in my shortcomings. And we think God doesn't really care about the outcome, does he? I mean, as long as I'm faithful, God doesn't really care about it. So, so even though it's not through my success, we also need to understand it's not through my faithfulness alone. Let me tell you another parable that Jesus told about this. See, there were three stewards whose um, boss was going off on a long journey. And as this boss was going off on this long journey, he went to his three managers and he said, Listen, I'm going to give you each a part of my estate to manage while I'm gone. And so he goes to the first manager and he says I'm going to give you 10 talents and I want you to manage these while I'm gone to the second he said I'm going to give you five and and then to the third manager he said I'm going to give you one talent to manage while I'm gone and then the 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 boss went off and he he left his managers in charge and the first manager took the 10 talents that he had and he went out and he invested it and uh, he managed it the whole time he was gone and he doubled the investment The second manager who had five talents took the five talents out and he invested it and he doubled the investment. And then the the manager with one talent, he he said, you know what, I've only got one. And and I know that my boss is demanding. And and if I lose this one talent, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to opt, rather than for success, I'm going to opt for faithfulness. And I'm going to bury this talent and I'm going to keep it safe. So that at least I have it to give back when the boss comes back into town. Well, the boss makes his way back into town and he goes back to his managers and he says, hey, I've come to collect uh, my investment that I left with you. And so the first manager says, wait, you know, boss, you gave me 10 talents. I invested it. I doubled it. Here is your 20 talents. And he says, great, great job. You have done a great job. He goes to the second one. He says, boss, you know, you gave me five talents. It wasn't a lot to work with, but I did what I could. I went out and I invested it. Here are ten talents. I doubled your investment. The boss says, man, that is awesome. Great job. He goes to the manager with one talent. And the manager says, well, boss, I know that you're a hard man. And you only gave me one talent. And so I was faithful with that one talent. I kept it safe. I buried it. Look, here it is. I've got it right here for you. And do you know what the boss said to him? He said, you know what, I'm going to take that talent away from you and I'm going to give it to this guy over here with 10 because he has proven himself uh, to, to be a good steward with my resources. Many times in our lives, see, we want to believe that, that if, if we can't be successful and earn God's favor through success, then at least we'll be like the steward with one talent. We'll bury that talent and we'll be faithful. That maybe God can be pleased with us if we're faithful. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, had to say about this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
As the body with the with the as, as the body with the spirit without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. In other words, your faithfulness by itself is not enough. To bury the talent in the ground and say, I've been faithful with it, to proclaim with your mouth, you know what? I may not be producing anything with my life, but at least I am faithful and it falls short. So if it's not about my success, and if it's not about my faithfulness alone, is there any way that God can be happy with me? What can I possibly do to bring glory to God? If all my activity and all my good deeds and all my works and all my success is like filthy rags, and if my desire to sort of secure everything and batten it down and keep it safe and say that I'm being faithful with the little God's given me, if that falls short as well, then what is it that God wants from me? Jesus gives the answer in John 15, 8. It's the fruitfulness of my life that brings glory to God. It's not about success, and it's not about faithfulness alone. It's about the fruit my life bears. Listen to what Jesus said. Again, verse 8 of chapter 15. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A life that bears fruit is a life that brings glory to our Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 10 and following, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people like us, a church just like us. People who are out there doing the best we can every day, trying to figure out what does it mean, what, what, what is God calling me to do, and, and living in the tension between a, a drive for success and, and, and just falling back on saying that we're faithful. A church just like, like us. Listen to what Paul said to them in, in chapter 1 of Colossians. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him. Yeah, Paul, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm trying to figure out. How do I do that? How do I please God? Live a life worthy of the Lord and please God in every way. And here it comes. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. What does that mean? That means when you go to your office, is your life, is the work that you're doing at your nine to five job, Monday through Friday, is it bearing fruit to bring pleasure to God? Students, when, when you're at school, I know you're just out for the summer and the last thing you want to think about is school, but when you're walking down the halls of, of your campuses, is your life bearing fruit? Are, are you taking actions on your campus to bear fruit that bring pleasure to God, that bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. See, it's not about my successes, and it's not even just about my claims to be faithful. It's about the fruit that is born out in my life. I want to talk to you just a little bit about what that means. We hit on this a little bit last week when we looked at the first few verses in John chapter 15. And if you missed that, uh, that message, I invite you to go to our website and go back and listen to, to, to that passage of Scripture as well. Because so much of what it means to bear fruit is connected to what Jesus said earlier in this passage where he said, you have to remain in me if your life is going to bear fruit. You have to remain in me and my word has to remain in you. So that in real-time decisions, you are making decisions that will bear fruit. It's like the dad who gives up public recognition because he'd rather be known by his children than by a group of people who will 
never remember his name in five years. It's about the business person who could go further faster if he was willing to take some ethical shortcuts. But because he wants to honor God with his business, he does the right thing even though it costs him advancement in his career. It's about the mom who passes up on an opportunity to climb the corporate ladder for the good of her family. You see, we're constantly tempted with success And we think that somehow my success will bring honor to God and it will win God's approval when many times it is our pursuit of success that prevents us from bearing fruit in our lives. What does it look like to bear fruit? It it looks like men and women who are committed to their families in such a way that they instill the values of Christ inside the next generation. It's about men and women who are willing to stand in the gap inside of a culture that is desperate for godly leadership, for a loving example of what it means to be like Jesus. And there are people willing to step in the gap and meet with students and tutor kids and and willing to go and do work that nobody else is willing to do to plant seeds that they may never see bear fruit in their lifetime. But sometime down the road, those seeds begin to grow and that vine begins to take shape and the fruit is born. It's a long process, and it requires men and women of God to say, you know what, I am willing to forego what the world calls success in order to be fruitful. And I am willing to avoid falling into the trap of saying, it's enough for me to show up at church and say I'm being faithful when God is inviting me to bear fruit in my life. And it's not just about individuals. It's also about churches, That churches can fall into the same tension between success and faithfulness. And so you have churches who will seek after success in the world's terms. Everything's got to be bigger and and better and faster and newer. And somehow we measure success by what we see on the television. And and many of those churches do, do accomplish a measure of success. And maybe even they bear some fruit. But is God interested in the success of his church? But then you have churches who are declining and failing and and they're becoming a holy huddle and they're hiding behind their sanctuary walls. And do you know what they say about themselves even as they're in decline? Well, at least we're being faithful. We're the few and the proud and we're going to hold tough against the rest of the world and we're going to be faithful. We're going to bury our talent right here. And churches find themselves caught between this, this tension between success and faithfulness. And what is it that God wants from us as a church, Southside? He wants us to be fruitful. This is why Southside's history and story is so important to be be told. There are more than 10 churches in our community that exist because Southside has been committed all along, not to pursuing success the way the world defines it and not to hide hide in a holy huddle and to say that we're just going to be faithful, but Southside has committed itself to bearing fruit in this community and around the world. And so how did it do that? It planted churches all up and down, all throughout the city of Jacksonville. And those churches have grown and those churches have reached people for Christ And Southside continues to bear fruit. In 2012, 2008, when when a group of refugees began to come, and there were were refugees coming in, even as Southside was struggling struggling with its own identity, what was Southside going to do? And Southside made a commitment. We're going to minister to the least of these because that is what it means to minister to Jesus. 
And then just a few years ago, when Southside looked around and we recognized the, the number of young single, um, singles who were moving into the community and our, our inability to connect with them uh, quickly and effectively, so, so Southside said, you know what, we're going to reach out to those as well. And so within the last five years, Southside has planted two more churches right here in our own community. Why did we do that? Well, we did that because we're not pursuing earthly success. And we're not hiding behind the walls claiming just to say that we're faithful. We're trying to be fruitful. And so today as you look around at the church and you see three, 350 people who are here today, what you don't see is the fact that this afternoon there will be another 215, 250 Korean refugees who will worship in this same building. And just down the road right now as we're worshiping, there are another 200 plus millennials who are worshiping down at the Knights of Columbus. And you add all that together and you see fruit being born out of this church. It's not enough that we're just successful And we can't hide behind faithfulness and say that it's enough for us to be faithful when God is inviting us to be fruitful. So how is it? How do I know if the fruit of my life is bringing glory to the Father? Well, I think the evidence that we can cite um, is often often also falls short of the true evidence that our, that our fruit of our life is bringing honor and glory to God. The first thing that we often do is we often claim that it's about our health, wealth, and happiness. But, but, but I cannot judge the fruit of my life and how much pleasure it brings to God based on my health, wealth, and happiness. You see, that's what success offers us, isn't it? If I'm successful, then I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, and I'm happy. So as long as we're pursuing success to earn God's favor, then we will measure our success based on our health, our wealth, and our happiness. And those are all fleeting. And as long as we seek to know, well, am I, I will know I'm pleasing God when my bank account's full, when I've got a good doctor's report, and when I live a happy life. And you'll chase after that carrot till the day you die. Because when is enough ever enough? It's never enough. But it's also not because of my suffering and persecution alone. Some of you know Christians like this. They think, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I'm miserable and I'm making everybody around me miserable, so God must be really happy with me. Because that's what the faithful crowd does, isn't it? They, they hide themselves in the holy huddle. They're miserable and they, love, they would love to make you miserable too. And the more miserable, miserable we are, the more pleased God must be with us. Neither of those things, our health, our wealth, our happiness, nor our suffering, nor our persecution alone, brings glory to God and lets us know that God's happy with us. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said this. He said, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame but have not love, I gain nothing. It's not about my health and wealth and happiness Evidence is not found in my suffering and my persecution. The evidence that my life is bringing glory to God is joy in the midst of any circumstance. Listen to what Jesus said. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Now, listen, some of you need to understand there is that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. You have faced circumstances in your life where you were devastated and you were sad and you were grieving but even in the midst of your grief there was a sense of joy and a sense of peace those two things are not connected and how do I know if my life is bringing glory to God how do I know if the fruit I'm bearing in my life is honoring God there will be a sense of joy in me that defies my circumstances Jesus said I have told you this so that my joy 
might be in you. Well, what is Jesus' joy? Well, fortunately, the writer of Hebrews tells us what it is. Here's what he said. Who, Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Does that sound like a happy place to you? The cross? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Do you know what brought joy to Jesus? Loving you the way his Father had loved him. You see, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How would your life be different if you lived it in such a way that you truly believed that God already loved you? That there was nothing you could do, no accomplishment that you could achieve that would make God love you any more than he already does because he can't love you more than he already does. How would it change your life if you truly believed that, that despite all the failings and all the shortcomings and all the ways that you've disappointed God over, God over time, that he could not love you any less? Wouldn't that finally bring the peace that we're looking for? Isn't that the approval that we're ultimately seeking? Wouldn't that bring the joy? Jesus said, I have told you this. I've told you this, that you bring glory to God by bearing fruit. But as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How is that love? That love is unconditional. I love you even when you're not bearing fruit. But I'm probably going to prune you in the process. Because what's the purpose? My purpose is to bring glory and honor to God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Don't you want that? Don't you want to stop living your life in such a way that you're constantly seeking the approval of other people? Parents who may have been gone for years or decades. Bosses who, quite honestly, don't care when you accomplish the goal anyway. Wouldn't you love to live your life knowing that you didn't need to seek the approval of anyone and that your heavenly father was pleased with you, that he decided he willed to love you, that you can have joy and peace in your heart and it's not through your success and it's not through hiding behind a cloak of faithfulness, but it's simply by living your life in such a way that you bring glory to God by the fruit that you bear in your life. Now listen, if you're here and you're a Christian and you've heard the things that I've said today, you need to know this, that a lack of joy in your life is a sure sign that something's wrong in your relationship with Jesus. Now notice, I didn't say that if you're not happy. I mean, you could be going through a dark time right now. That's not the same as joy. But if your life, if your walk with Christ right now lacks joy, according to this passage, one of the reasons might be That maybe you've been distracted into a pursuit of success. Or maybe you're hiding behind a claim of faithfulness when God's inviting you to bear fruit. Are you depending on your own success to earn God's favor? That's what the older brother in the parable was doing. If I could just work hard enough, surely God would love me. Surely God would love me more than he loves my wayward brother. Have you given up trying? Maybe you finally decided that that your life isn't ever going to be successful, so you've just given up trying, and you're telling yourself that your faithfulness is enough. And so you're hiding, you're burying your talent in the sand. 
thinking, well, you don't know how else to please God, but other than to put it all in reserve and keep it safe until someday he calls you home? Have you been looking for the wrong evidence of God's pleasure with the fruit of your life? You've been thinking, you know what, I'm not healthy, I'm not wealthy, I'm not happy, so God must not be pleased with me. It couldn't be further from the truth. You know what we all long to hear? One day, whenever that day comes, that God would call you home, and you go up before him, and you know that you're only there by the grace of Jesus, it was nothing that you've accomplished, and those words that Jesus said, that the Father would say, to those who have borne fruit, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're after. You know, there's an innate human longing to please our earthly dads, but it's never really about pleasing him. It's always about pleasing our heavenly fathers. And it's not by chasing success, and it's not by isolating ourselves from the world and claiming to be faithful. By this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and we prepare to uh, sing a song. Um, It's a familiar song with a familiar text. And and the words are, uh, just as I am. Without one plea. That's how we come to God. Just as we are, and he loves us that way. He could not love you more, and he will not love you less. So if you're willing to give up your pursuit of success, if you're willing to, if you're willing to stop hiding behind a claim of faithfulness, maybe today you would come just as you are. And receive the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And by remaining in that love, allow him to bear fruit through your life. Father, today we come to you thanking you for this amazing grace, this amazing offer. This incredible challenge that Jesus gave us to bring honor and glory to you by bearing fruit. And and Lord, we try to do that in so many ways that miss the mark. The the churches we build, the ministries we establish, Father, the recognition that we seek. If we're honest, so many times the things that we do, at least in some part, are about us. And Father, we're a lot more like that nobleman in that story who has really brought a gift saying it's for you when really it's ourselves that we're trying to honor. And yet, Lord, we we don't want to be like the steward who buries the talent in the sand. Lord, we want to We want to bear fruit for you. So Lord, today as we come, as your church, help us to know how to do that. Help us to know as we leave this place this week and as we go about our our daily routines, how can we bear fruit? Because that's what you're longing for. That's what brings honor and glory to you. That's what will ultimately bring joy to our hearts. Father, for those who are here today who are lacking joy, Father, I pray that they'll take a serious inventory of their own walk. And maybe today, Lord, they would recognize there's not much fruit being born on the branches of their life. Father, speak to us. Help us to know how we might remain in you and that your word might remain in us, that our lives would bear fruit that would bring glory to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.